0: Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. It's Monday um, after a very frustrating for me Sunday. Uh I'm in San Francisco. I was in Oakland yesterday. Um, we're gonna be talking about that one. Um joining us from Milwaukee. He was at the less uh exciting but no less interesting Buck Celtics Game One of that series yesterday. It's Tim Bontemps. Tim, how much snow is on the ground in Milwaukee? Uh,
1: None, though. It looks like it might be potentially snowing again right now, which is uh, not ideal on April 29th. (laughs) Perfect. I'd I'd say say it's more frustrating to be uh, here than in San Francisco right now, I would say.
0: All right. Uh, And joining us from Bristol, Connecticut, the home base, the the man is at the headquarters sitting in a studio with our uh, producer Kyrie is author extraordinaire of Sprawl Ball. Uh, is it out tomorrow, Kurt Goldsberry?
2: It is out tomorrow. Go to go to Amazon. Stop what you're doing right now. Hit the order button, and it will thank you uh, a million times over. But, yeah, it's out tomorrow. Thanks for the plug, Brian. There's
0: lots of pictures. Lots of pictures. If you don't yeah, like don't... words,
2: this is the basketball book for you, folks. <laughs>
0: um, c- can I just say, this is shameless, but I'm just going to say it. I was, uh, I was on SportsCenter yesterday, and I was following – um, one of your essays, um, and your reads on these, uh, essays are very good. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed you. your read. It's,
2: it's a, diff- I, my James Earl Jones voice is, uh, <laughs> it's a work <laughs> in progress, but I appreciate it, Brian.
0: Um, <laughs> alright, so without further ado, um, yesterday on ABC, the Warriors Rockets game drew a 5.9 rating. Uh, is up thirty four percent from that first round game last year on that Sunday. It had an eight point one rating in the last fifteen minutes, which was which is huge, huge for a second round game in two thousand nineteen. Uh, one of the most watched moments of basketball this year. Uh, it is not a surprise. It was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, game of Thrones was not yet on. Uh, people had already seen Avengers. The NBA, NFL draft was over. Um, it is not surprising that it would get that interest. And people tuned in to see that 15 minutes of basketball, and what did they see? I'm going to tell you what they saw. James Harden pulls up for a three-pointer. It comes after an incredible play where being down three points without the ball, the Rockets trap. They don't foul right away. It was amazing. They get a steal. You should have heard the gasp. There was an audible gasp inside Oracle Arena. The fans thought the game was wrapped up. It was the exact reason by the way why the Spurs should have played the last few minutes of the game differently the other night, but we're not going to get into that right now. And oh my god, it's a turnover. And here come the Rockets <laughs> down the court with a chance to, to to tie the game and send this game to overtime. There's millions of people in America on the edge of their seats. In China, there's probably 30 million people Um, in the evening, watching their two of their favorite teams, James Harden, the defending MVP, possible two-time MVP, rises up over Draymond Green, who is the, you know, one of the best defenders in the NBA, former defensive player of the year. Draymond challenges the shot. The ball goes up. It misses. Damn. But wait a minute. Here comes future Hall of Famer Chris Paul. He makes this incredible in, uh, play where he, he senses where the ball is going to be. He comes running down the baseline, comes underneath um, a Warriors player and gets an awesome offensive rebound, giving the Rockets another chance. Those millions of people gasp again. The War- The Rockets fans... Warriors fans are, oh, no, I thought we had won it two different times here. And Chris Paul looks to throw the ball to James Harden to give one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA a chance to make another dagger three-pointer, like he did the last time they were in Golden State when he made one of the biggest shots of the year. But he can't throw the ball to James Harden. Do you want to know why, everybody? Mm -hmm. Because James Harden is laying on the floor. Why? Why is James Harden laying on the floor? Because James Harden (laughs) flopped. dramatic read is tremendous. Okay? And Chris Paul can't throw the ball to him because he's sitting there with his hands up wanting a foul. And so instead, Chris Paul gets trapped, runs over Klay Thompson. The ball goes out of bounds. The Warriors get the ball, clinch the game. Chris Paul is so upset at not James Harden for laying on the floor flopping, he's upset at the officials for not bailing him out with that call. So he runs at the official. And bumps the official. And the official ejects him from the game. Yes, he was dissecting technical foul. But the official ejected him from the game, I believe, because he got bumped. All right? And so now we have a game that instead of being decided by some of the best players in the NBA, what we have is millions of people talking about the officiating. And that made me sad. Uh, and I am frustrated <laughs> that this officiating is becoming such a thing. I am frustrated that the Rockets and the Warriors grind on the officials every freaking call. I am frustrated that this is now how games have to end, players looking for fouls. I don't know what to do about it, but it makes me sad, Tim Bontemps.
1: Yeah, well, just to go back to what you did to Kirk, uh, your column the other day on the state of the relationship between players and coaches and refs in the NBA was spot on. and. Uh, as you also wrote about after yesterday's game. I mean, there's no question that this entire series is going to be, uh, you know, the dominant theme of the series is going to be about the officiating and about uh, calls that are made and calls that are not made. Um, you're right. It is, it is going to be a very bad look for the league. This should be. This is a series, right, that people have been talking about since last year's Western Conference Finals. Um, I am not of this belief, but a lot of people believe the Rockets are the team that has the best chance to beat Golden State this year, uh, just as they were last year um and instead of talking about did you hear that little really that little uh an thing where he just dropped a, a little
0: thing in there we'll get back to that in a second go ahead sorry it's called
1: the tease it's called the tease uh but instead of like you said talking about a really compelling and interesting game uh, i went back and watched the full thing this morning because i had to write uh about the, the the game i was at yesterday um so i couldn't see all of it um, instead of talking about what was a really fun and interesting and exciting game and, you know, guys playing hard and, and a lot of close plays down the stretch and all the stuff that was fun to talk about from a basketball standpoint, all everybody is talking about today is complaints about officiating. And like you said, that game got a massive rating and it should have been a great moment for the league. And instead, it all it did was highlight what currently I think is the biggest problem the league has right now, which is a, uh, a crisis Uh, Of officiating on a variety of levels,
0: Kirk. um, uh, I I think you're going to have to come up with new map strategies um, that involve where the Rockets players attempt to draw fouls from. I think that should be your next your next mapping adventure,
2: dude. I've already mapped that. It's uh, not the got to map landing spots, Kirk. (laughs) There is a well. Hold on, I got so many points on landing spots. But uh, listen to this. You know, I may, I've made a map <laughs> about where Harden draws his shooting fouls. I've done it multiple times. Uh, there's one in the book. Uh, and the, 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 the simple typical way, Brian, is that this is a guy who draws fouls in places that nobody else draws fouls uh, at a very high rate. Um, we know that. Um, we know that the Rockets are the most efficient, sort of aligned team in NBA history. They know the exact margins when it comes to shot selection. That's well documented. Um, but it also manifests in how they use the officials. And they know that three-point shooting fouls are very, very valuable outcomes for any possession. Um, if you give a shooter like Chris Paul or <clears throat> James Harden three foul shots, you're giving him essentially two and a half, two point seven 2.7 points, something like that. That's the most punitive penalty we have in the game. Um, it's the most valuable outcome in aggregate that you could sort of strive for at, as an offensive possession. And it's unsurprising to me that, that this is the team that is trying to sort of exploit that um, you know, I talk about landing areas. When I was wearing a suit in Oracle Arena as a member of the Spurs front office two years ago, I thought that would be Uh-oh. the biggest biggest landing area <laughs> uh, event in Oracle Arena this decade. Um, it might be usurped by what's about to happen in this series. Um, and it is a little bit Can sad. I interject
1: really fast, Kirk? Please, please. Uh, all, I, all I wanted to say was, uh, back in D- Kirk's days wearing a suit, I was covering uh, that game at my old... Uh, employer, and I will never forget seeing Kirk uh, after that game, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen a person uh, angrier about maybe anything uh, than uh, the Kawhi Leonard, uh, Zaza Pachulia play. And by the way, uh, justifiably, not not saying not, but it was just, uh, to your point, being there for that, like I, I would have never imagined that there could have been a bigger moment Uh, in this kind of a thing than that. And I I think yesterday, to your point, may have actually topped it.
2: Well, and and the last thing, thank you, Tim. I was very disappointed that day, shocker. Um, But, you know, (laughs) this is a very... We have to protect the shooters, okay? We have to. There's no question about it. But I think we need to also make sure that players aren't sort of trying to exploit that protection um, and draw these three-point shooting fouls, which are very, very valuable offensive outcomes, as I said. Um, And I don't have an answer for that. I think it probably... You know, involves better language. I think everybody talking about the, the rules right now is talking about some vague language about the landing area. Um, and I don't think that's specific enough. So yeah, Brian, you started with like, Oh, you got to map the, uh, map the shooting foul locations. I've already done that. Um, but you're exactly right. Harden, Harden is the all time leader in three point shooting fouls in the NBA history already. Um, and he's savvy for trying to do it. And it's up to the league to legislate you know, the rule in a way that it can be clearly um, interpreted and where we at to, why this is so controversial today, at least in the basketball community is that rule isn't drawn up really well. You have Steve Javi talking about it. It's vague. Uh, you have players talking about it. We have the Kawhi precedent. Um, we have the Kobe precedent. We know why we have to protect shooters. Um, but the, the I, if I'm picking on anything today, it's the rule that rule needs to be clear,
0: which is what the rockets are taking advantage of. Just like, the concept 12 years ago or so when teams realized, you know what, that 21-foot shot or whatever it is, 20-foot shot in the corner is worth three points, and that's an inefficiency that we're not taking advantage of. The the grayness of this rule is something that the Rockets are taking advantage of. In fact, in general, I would say that the Rockets are taking advantage of the ability of their players to draw fouls. Mm. They enter every game with three offensive strategy points. One, to shoot three pointers. Two, to shoot layups. Three, to get to the foul line, and that means to exploit the official's penchant for calling fouls, shooting fouls. It is a market inefficiency. Yesterday, the Rockets leaked a report that they had ready to go. Maybe they would have used this when they were planning this. They were, they were thinking, maybe we'll use this in Game 4. Maybe we'll use this going into a Game 7. But they had this report ready for Game 1. It just, as it turned out, that they leaked to Sam Amick from The Athletic, and it's been leaked a couple of other places where they had a detailed accounting of all of the shots that they all of the times that they felt like the warriors got the better whistle based on league uh, you know analysis, and they said that last year in that um, seven game series against the Rockets that they were robbed of ninety three points due to calls that were favorable to the warriors. And my gosh, aren't they harmed, and shouldn't we call the uh, U.S. government, the Southern District of New York, to open an (laughs) investigation? All right? And I am throwing the biggest flag I can throw on that because it is absolutely manipulation by Daryl Morey, who I respect immensely, but it's absolute bull bleep because it doesn't take into account all of the calls that they got the other direction – how many how many fouls did they get where harden was full of it and flopping and chris paul was full of it and flopping that they got those foul situations and they i mean and this is this is an absolutely unbelievable sentence from Sam Amick's story which absolutely was given to him by the rockets talking about game 7 of the playoffs last year two of the 27 consecutive missed three-pointers that did them in were ruled to have been missed foul calls. I'm going to read that sentence again and Here's I an want idea. the entire 27 threes in a row. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm going to read it again. Two of the 27 missed three pointers that did them in were ruled to have been missed foul calls. They missed 27 consecutive three pointers and they spent a year compiling a report for how foul calls cost them that series and that game. That is manipulation. And I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that the NBA officials are, getting, are, 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 are not making mistakes. They absolutely are. But these teams are coming into this game where part of their game plan is to manipulate the officials and complaining about officiating either within game or between games is part of that manipulation. And that manipulation is a, is a, is a well thought out maneuver by the Rockets to take advantage of a market inefficiency. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I've spent 10 minutes here in a game talking about the Rockets where the Warriors are on the other side. Where I, where the, the way the Warriors complain about officiating, I think is a blight upon their legacy in the history of this league. And so my concern here is that this series, which very well may determine the champion. It almost certainly determined the champion last year, although the Cleveland Cavaliers have a big pride and they think they would have beaten the Rockets. I don't think that they would have, but they probably determined the championship champion last year. Bontemps disagrees that's going to determine the champion this year, and we will get into that in a minute. But look, your whole childhood, you tried over and over and over to pull the wool over your mom's eyes. Do you really think she's not going to be able to tell the difference between a last-minute Mother's Day gift and something that you really thought about in advance? So this Mother's Day, don't settle for anything less than the biggest and brightest bouquets from 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, 1-800-Flowers has great deals for mom, like 24 assorted roses for 24 bucks. And honestly, I'm just going to pause right here. That doesn't even sound like it's a real price. I almost think that it's a mistake because roses – cost way more than that most of the time um, but that's what they said so that's what i'm going to stick with and now it's now they're committed to it um, with big bright and beautiful mix of orange yellow and pink blooms these roses are guaranteed to make her smile assorted roses are the perfect way to surprise all of the moms in your life don't forget about your wife your sister your grandmother your neighbor for 24 bucks you could probably take care of everybody to be honest with you they'll all think you spent way more than that Roses from 1-800 Flowers are picked at their peak from premier farms and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. The 24 roses for 24 bucks is an amazing offer, but you have to hurry because it expires Friday. And I, honestly, I would hurry. I don't think it's going to get cheaper. Trust 1-800 Flowers to make mom feel Love this Mother's Day. Order today. 1-800flowers.com to get those uh, flowers for 24 bucks. Uh, please go to 1-800flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code HOOP. That's one 800 Flowers Code Hoop, H O O P. Order today and, and save at one flowerscom flowerscom This is in a really important series. It is, is loaded with star players. It is loaded with future Hall of Famers. It is going to be watched by all these people. And it is going to come down to officiating. And I'm going to tell you something. We are on the verge of getting ugly. I wrote about this last week. And then in this last in this last you know month or so, we have Steph Curry. Showing up an official on the court. We have DeMar DeRozan throwing a ball at an official. We have Sean Marks barging into the official's locker room. And yesterday we have Chris Paul bumping an official. If you can't see the escalation that is happening here, then you're a fool. And we are headed for a black eye. And somebody, goddammit, has got to step in and stop it. And I don't know who it's going to be and I'm sorry, and I know I'm going to get made fun of for this, but Jesus, will we stop it? I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick that this important series, these important games, are turning into a bitching about the refs fest.
2: Hey, and uh, Brian, let me hearken back to the 2017 second round again where we weren't playing the Warriors. We were playing the Rockets in the second round, <clears throat> and if anybody thinks this is correct, does um, anybody remember our pick-and-roll defense that year? It was the hands-up. Uh, Coming off the screen. Oh, I
1: remember. I covered that series too.
2: Yeah. So, Tim, you remember? You know, that year Harden had broke the record for three point shooting fouls by two or three x. Him and Lou Williams were on the same team, uh, and we had our strategy driven by the fact that they had scored, I think, seven to nine points a game in the first round against Oklahoma City on three point shooting fouls. Um, Our goal was to not get one. And we got one, I think, in game one or two. Patty got a crappy call, like, 35 feet from the basket. Shouldn't have been called. Yep. Uh, But that was the only one of the series, in part because we were playing that defense and showing up the fact that we can't even get our hands near the guy or jump into it. And, again, Harden deserves credit. That's a brilliant play. Whether it's in the spirit of the game or not, I'll leave that to others to decide. But we this is not the first time. And, again, the Rockets are playing such an analytically correct version of the game. But to Brian's earlier point, the old basketball quote that the best place to score on the the, the court is the free-throw line uh, nobody has adhered to that sort of wisdom more than uh, James Harden, uh, who looks at the refs as marks more than anybody in the history of the league and tries to get to that three-point or that free-throw line uh, and he does it from the perimeter more than anybody we've ever had um, so this is not new uh, and to hit this these have been battles with the refs where they have been as violent and sort of ugly as Brian's referring to but the officials have been such a huge part of uh, of this run for the last few years um and I do think it'll get ugly because what what I think is like is this within the spirit of the game um and I don't think it is and I think that's why a lot of players and coaches get mad um that they have to deal with this
1: I remember that series because pop was on the court I think before game two or game three and people started asking him about the, these reach-in fouls and he literally stood there and did a demonstration of like what what he wanted his guys to do um which, you know, to everybody who assembled was kind of amazing because usually Pop, with these kind of questions, would d- dismiss them. But he clearly wanted to uh, make a point on what they were trying to do. And then, to Kirk's point, I mean, they did a great job of limiting that, that whole series, and eventually the Rockets imploded in Game 6. Um, but to go, to go back to what something both of you guys have said, like, the, the biggest theme of that game to me was the manipulation or the attempt at manipulation of the refs by the Rockets. Like when Chris Paul got his first technical foul, he flopped on a three and went crazy and got teed up because he tried to. D'Antoni get to Sean got, got a t two on it Livingston and really just flew into him, and D'Antoni got a t on the same play. And again on that last play, like look, part of this is you both have said correctly, and I think Joe Borgia even said somewhere that the rule is intentionally vague. Well, that intentionally vague is a problem when you're dealing <laughs> with Houston because they, to their credit, they exploit every possible angle they can get and. Look, James Harden is one of the greatest uh, exploiters of the rules of all time. And it's a credit to him, like you said, because he gets to the line. I think he's led the league in free throw attempts six of the last seven years as a guard, which is crazy. Um, So obviously, uh, they're great at this. But again, like on that last play, like you said, Brian, like James Harden jumped forward five feet and fell down. Like the refs look at that and go, hey, we're not going to call that because you're just trying to make us look dumb. And at some point, the Rockets have to acknowledge the fact, in my opinion, that if you're just going to constantly go around, like Kirk said it perfectly, they, James in particular, and and Chris, and the Rockets in general, look at the refs' marks. And if they go around and act and treat the refs in that fashion and try to fool them all the time, well, yeah, at some point it's like the boy who cried wolf, and you might get fouled sometimes on these threes, but if you're constantly trying to trick the refs into giving you calls you shouldn't get, or exploit the rules in a way where you're going to get a call that's a borderline call because you make it look worse than it is, then you're going to have a harder time getting refs to go, oh, yeah, that was a foul because they're going to be afraid that they're going to go back after the game and go, God damn, these guys got me again.
0: Well, as fans of the Dallas Mavericks can tell you, you can shoot shoot free throws. You can shoot free throws to a championship, (laughs) but you cannot... But you cannot complain your way to a championship. That was a funny
1: tweet by Daryl yesterday. I have to admit that made me laugh. Yeah. Did you Did um, you see that? That's Ryan?
0: That's that's another thing we've got. We've got owners tweeting about officiating uh, in, in other games. This was going on yesterday. Yes, I saw the tweet. You cannot complain your way to a championship. That's like that's a phrase. Okay, I want to talk about some other things that happened in this uh, in this game. Um, There's a couple of uh, really key uh, strategy points that I think are going to hopefully win the day more than officiating. Um, It was very clear that the Warriors had, even though they didn't have much time to prepare, they have been waiting for the series. They had an entire game plan ready to roll on how to stop Clint Capella's lob game. And they completely cut Clint Capella out of the game yesterday to the point where Mike D'Antoni yanked Capella at the end of the game and put Nene in instead. And that matchup allowed Steph Curry to get the three pointer that essentially clinched the game. Um, terrific play there. Terrific. Uh, you know, that's going to have to be an adjustment that the Rockets make. Uh, but they took Capella out of the game. And um, also at the other uh, end, uh, the, the, the Rockets. Um, Kirk, I don't know how much you got to watch this game yesterday, um, but it, it was amazing watching the Warriors. They would come down the court, and their goal was to get the smallest defender on to Kevin Durant. Mm. So they would look at the alignment of who was defending whom, and they would all their players would come to the top of the key. Like three players would come to the top of the key. and the, And they would just run a series of screens, of stagger screens, and, and it almost was like they were raking back and forth. Like sometimes the ball handler would move back and forth just to get the shuffle alignment that they wanted of the switch. Because the the Rockets are switching every screen, so they just shuffled it and to 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 end up with Durant having the smallest defender on him. It was like they put it into a food processor. They put the, the the lineups into a processor. A bunch of shuffling and screening and switching happened, and at the other side. Chris Paul was on Durant, and then they throw to Durant, and Durant would go to work. And the, the Chris Paul and Peter Tucker's entire game plan for defending Durant is to not let him get the ball over his head. Because once Kevin Durant gets the ball over his head, you cannot defend it. So they are slapping, punching, shoving, grabbing, holding, putting their hands all over him. To keep that ball on the ground, and the Warriors are doing everything they possibly can to get the smallest defender onto Durant so that Durant can go to work. These are things that are going to play out in this series. And, um, to me, that was really where the intrigue was. I wish it was more on that than, uh, than the officiating.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's, a, these are incredible teams with, like you're saying, it's too bad we're not talking about all the MVPs that are on the court. I mean, the game has three MVPs in it. Um, Durant is, is on a roll. Um, you know, he's just he's playing some of the best basketball he's ever played. His mid-range game is, is off the charts. As an analytics guy, it's like I always say, I mean, mid-range is fine if you can shoot 50 or 60%, and he's one of the few guys who can do that in volume. Um, closely guarded. He's hitting that little Dirk shot with the right leg up. He's, he's got it. He's got so much to give right now, and it's so fun to watch him. But you're right. that Last year, this was all about matchup science, too. Every trip down, who can get who on who to exploit the matchup they want. Um, and right now Durant's the hot hand for uh, Golden State, uh, and, and he had another monster game, you know, 35 points. Um, the thing I'm watching, though, Brian, is these minutes. Uh, we've talked about the depth of the Warriors. Uh, their bench is really nothing right now. It's Kavon Looney and Sean Livingston, and then Bogut played five minutes, McKinney played nine minutes. And Livingston's
0: giving them nothing right now, to be honest with you. Yeah,
2: if this goes seven games, and we're watching Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and Klay Thompson all play 40-plus minutes for seven games, they are going to be exhausted.
0: You're Um, right, not just this round, but also going forward in other rounds.
2: That's what I'm saying. So watch that. It's something to watch uh, going forward.
0: It
1: really felt like this was the game the Rockets had to get, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Warriors are playing 36 hours after their last game. Uh, Just to me, I don't know what you guys think. It felt like that was the game that the Rockets had to get. And despite all these other calls and all this other stuff, like now with two days off in between games, like it just felt like that was the game they needed to get. If they wanted to make this a long series and the fact that they couldn't get that one, you have to think even with those minutes played, which I agree are going to be an issue. If it goes long, you have to think that clay and staff are going to be feeling better on Wednesday than they were yesterday. And I, that it just felt like that was the one they really had to get like the Celtics had to get this one. I thought, um, the game one in Milwaukee and, uh, I think the Rockets are really going to rue letting that game get away for a variety of reasons.
0: Well, all right. That's enough on this series. We'll be talking about this a lot. Um, I agree. Uh, Durant is, on, you know, one of the things that's being obscured is Durant is on a humongous hot streak. I, I, he's probably had four games like this in the past, but certainly not with stakes like this. Um He's Ever since he said, I'm Kevin Durant um, on Beverly, he's pretty much dominated every game he's been in. So I was at the Rockets Warriors game and the sea of yellow, as there always is. Actually, it's not supposed to be yellow. I was, I was admonished for this. It's supposed to be gold. I shouldn't call it yellow. It's gold. So it's a series of, uh, a sea of gold. And then there's all these spots of red. I mean, the Rockets fans stick out. And I'm wondering, how did these Rocket fans get these tickets? Because some of these tickets are really good. There were some folks uh, way low sitting in James Harden uh, beard, beards. They had these beard masks on. They were all over TV and I'm thinking, how did they do it? And the answer is Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is an online ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment like NBA playoff games with experiences that last a lifetime. With Vivid Seats, listeners can watch their favorite teams and artists perform in person. They help find their seats to any of their favorite events including NBA playoff games, concerts, theater, and more. They offer great prices and an easy purchasing experience. So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Our listeners can enter our promo code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S, to receive 10% off that first order, and all Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% guarantee. Go support your team at home or on the road with Vivid Seats. Um Okay, um yesterday uh, Bontemps you were at, um, the Celtics, uh, game one upset. You know, the thing about the Celtics all year is that they've had the highest upside. In my opinion, in the East, they do, you know, man to man, they have superior talent than the bucks, but they do not play, you know, the bucks play typically a very organized machine, like efficient attack. And you get impressed with the way they play together. Um, but overall, the Celtics should be the better team. They just haven't been, and yesterday, they were the ones who had their act together more. Um, what did what did that teach you?
1: The simple way to sum up that game for me is that everything that people around the league have doubted about the Bucs all season all came to fruition in one game. Um, people questioned whether Mike Boonholzer's system would be able to hold up against higher competition in the playoffs. People questioned whether... Um the supporting cast that you mentioned, uh, is is not the same level of talent on paper as these other teams atop the east would hold up uh in, against higher level competition. People wondered how Giannis would do when a team could really zero in on him during the playoffs, though most teams don't have a guy like Al Horford who was incredible yesterday. Um you know, all the, you put all those things together and it was a pretty disheartening game uh for the Bucs. Um, you know, as as I think our colleague Malik Andrews had in her story and other people also said to me like this basically couldn't have gone much worse for the Bucs for a first game. Um, they shot the ball terribly there, you know, Eric Bledsoe looked terrible again against the Celtics, just like he did last year in the playoffs, just like he did in two of the 3 regular season matchups this year. Um, the other players supporting guys did not play well other than Nico Mirotic. Um, and Al Horford did an incredible job on Giannis and really the, the Celtics just bottled him up all game. So, um, you no, know, look, I expect the Bucks to play much better on Tuesday in Game 2, uh, but I think well, just looking at that game, there wasn't a lot of stuff that happened from the Celtics' side that wasn't replicable, and I, I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble.
0: One of the things I saw, Kirk, was, um, you know, really the Bucs, uh, uh, their offense works much like the Hawks did under Mike Budenholzer. Their offense works when they share the ball and move the ball. I don't know if it was what the Celtics were doing or – if it was just the Bucks freezing up in a, in a moment, they were absolutely playing straight isolation basketball yesterday. And that just completely undercut the entire thing that they needed to do offensively. I thought, I don't know how you said yeah,
2: it. Yeah, I mean, Bontemps is right. It was like the exact worst sort of outcome. I think Jalen said it on, on the post-game show uh, on ESPN yesterday, but one of the things, that when the Bucks play breaks down, Brian, like you're saying, you know, they stifle a Giannis drive, let's say, and the kickout comes, and there's no three-point shot. There's not a lot of guys who can dribble, pass, and shoot out there. Um, And I think that showed up. I mean, and the one guy that was was Eric Bledsoe, whose nightmare was revisited from the Boston series last year. Uh, Terry Rozier outplayed him again. I mean, Eric Bledsoe's one for five in 25 minutes with six points. That's not going to get it done. Um, The starters, Brooke Lopez, Bledsoe, Sterling Brown, just didn't show up. I think they were combined three of 17. Uh, And then on the other end of the court, Everything went right for Boston. Uh, and in a weird way, they sort of play to Milwaukee's weakness. This The Boston offense is, is, is very sort of jump shot oriented. They don't need to get to the paint. They don't need uh, to get to the line. Um, if their jump shots are going in, they're very good. And Milwaukee is content to let a lot of teams shoot jump shots. And we saw Kyrie um, making, sh- making shots. We saw the, the team shooting, I think, 42% from three. And then the, the thing that I've always wondered about Kyrie Irving is, is can he make the players around him better? Can he create those shots? And he had that 11-assist game yesterday. Um, I, this isn't a Kyrie Irving I remember watching in, in Cleveland um, in, in the playoffs, mostly because LeBron was on ball all the time. But this was the exact kind of game that Boston would have wanted. Their jump shots went in, Kyrie shared the ball, and then Al Horford played the best defensive game of his life uh, and stifled uh, the likely MVP in Giannis. Um, and so when Boston is right, they're making jump shots and they're playing great defense. And yesterday that was the combination that won them this game.
0: Pontemps, you have the stats on Bledsoe versus the uh, Celtics this year? I think you mentioned them.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and the, so in the one game Milwaukee won comfortably, uh, I think they won by 13, Bledsoe was 7 for 9. The other three games combined, he was 6 for 23. Um, and, and like Kirk said, especially with Malcolm Brogdon out, whose loss was really felt mm-hmm. yesterday because he is a guy that could actually get into the defense and make a play, um, as opposed to Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton and some of these other guys who are out there. Um, there was a play in the second quarter when Bledsoe got to the free throw line, stood there for about four seconds, nobody was around him, and then he passed the ball. And I just you just knew from that point on he was just not going to be a factor, and he wasn't at all. And if, if Milwaukee wants any chance of making this a real series, he just has to be better. He has to be a lot better because um, if it's just Chris Middleton and Giannis against the Celtics, uh, they don't have any shot in this series. They, they just they just don't at all. So that that to me, he's been the bellwether guy from them from the start. Uh, and if and to me, that's the guy you watch in Game Two. If he's not a lot better, um, unless the Celtics are just horrible, which like I said, I, they made shots yesterday, but also like I didn't think they did anything that was unsustainable. So they're going to need Bletzel to be a lot better. Uh, If they want to uh, even the series up and give themselves a shot going back to Boston for game three.
0: Well, this gets into my cone of uncertainty that I've talked about with the Celtics all year. Their variance in play is enormous. But at the top end, they could win the East. At the top end, they could give the West champion, I assume it'll be the Warriors, everything they could handle. Um, At their bottom end, they... they 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 were in trouble in the first round. So um I don't know how it's going to go. It's so it's obviously if you're a Celtics fan, you're incredibly encouraged by what you saw. As Kirk said, uh Kyrie being everything they could have ever dreamed as the floor leader in that game, but it could completely flop around, which is why we're going to tune in. I mean, that's going to be interesting. Now Bontemps, you have already indicated that you have a strong you, – you're, you're not in agreement that the Rockets-Warriors winner may, win the, may be the champion. Um, you have pretty strong feelings about the East, and I'm going to give you the floor now to say them. I know what they are, but I want everyone to know what they are.
1: <laughs> I said about a month ago that I thought two teams could be Golden State in the finals uh, and in the playoffs at all, which are Milwaukee and Toronto. Uh, and I got a lot of slack for that because a lot of people said, well, Houston's the, the best team in the league uh, besides Golden State. I, I haven't really thought that all year, uh, in large part because, as you saw, like one thing I didn't say earlier, as you guys mentioned in this game, without a Trevor Reza on the Rockets, the one guy the Rockets never replaced, without, without Trevor Reza, I thought that the, the, the Rockets were a significantly worse team, and they have no one to guard Durant. Uh, there is a team, however, that has a lot of people to guard Kevin Durant, and that's the Toronto Raptors, who I think
0: are going to win the title this year. Uh, the Raptors. Hold on, hold on. Just, we since- have a prediction. What? We have a prediction. He just said the Raptors are winning the title. Just wanted to get that. He's on the record. The same man who in October, being September, maybe in October, said the Lakers weren't making the playoffs. He has said that the Raptors will win the NBA title. Go on. Just wanted to, just wanted to make sure that was on the record and denoted. Go on. Since
1: since August. Ever since they traded for Kawhi, the Raptors have been solely focused on doing everything they can to be as good as possible in May and June. And that, was throughout, that, was, that goes to City Kawhi during the year. That goes to changing starting lineups all over the place. That goes to changing the way they played. That goes to giving Pascal Siakam more and more opportunities to do things outside of his comfort zone throughout the year. Um, trading for Marcus Saul. All the various things that the Raptors did throughout the year were all geared toward being as good as possible now. And if if anybody who watched uh, that game on Saturday night against the Sixers saw, the Raptors are ridiculous. Uh, And Kawhi Leonard in particular has gone up a couple of levels, at least from where he was in the regular season. I know Kirk obviously knows Kawhi's game uh, as well as anybody, given his time in San Antonio. And he, he just looks incredible at this point. And to me... The Spur, they actually, the Raptors this year actually remind me of the 2014 Spurs. I mean, I don't think it. I don't think I. I mean, the reason I say that is because uh, they like that team was on a singular mission all year. I don't think that the talent is exactly the same. Though they do have Kawhi and Danny Green.
0: I will say this. Going back to that, um, I, I, I let me just say something about the Spurs. So the, <laughs> I, I will say this. Obviously, it was an incredibly disappointing loss for the Spurs in 2013 when they lost to the Heat in um, in the finals, Game Six. Ray Allen and they come back, and LeBron carries in Game Seven. Tim Duncan misses the one foot layup that kills the Spurs' chances. Um, I had to go. I was assigned to go cover Spurs training camp. Um, that next year, and the story that I was assigned to get was go have the Spurs talk about uh, their summer of misery after, uh, you know, losing in the finals. And I was like, boy, this is not exactly an easy assignment. The Spurs don't like talking about the weather, much less talking about the greatest disappointment in the history of the entire organization, all their careers. So I kind of like tiptoed into the Spurs facility on the first day of training camp, thinking like this was going to be a real chore and I was going to have to ask all these questions. And as a non-beat writer, I was going to get, you know, thrown out on my ass. And I couldn't believe it. Pop wanted to talk about it. Tim wanted to talk about it. Manu wanted to talk about it. Tony Parker, who, had, who was still a little bit tipsy, Of getting drunk after winning the European Championships with France that summer, wanted to talk about it. I couldn't. I I had an overflowing uh, notebook of the Spurs talking about their disappointment and misery coming off of that um, that loss. And so BonTEMPS is right. Uh, They absolutely approached that season with nothing but but blood in their in their mouths and fire in their eyes. Uh, to, to, to destroy the heat, which they ended up doing resoundingly um, six, seven months, whatever it was later. Um, that's my only thing. Like, I understand what Tim is saying because, as I have talked about on this podcast before, when I went to see the Raptors play in the preseason, I was gobsmacked about how great they looked. And I never want to overreact to a preseason game, but I couldn't believe, I said, this is a fire-breathing monster. And... They have gone through the regular season only preparing for the postseason. I mean, I don't... I see kind of the comparison he's making. The only thing that I think is a major difference is those Spurs guys had proven that they were champions. Uh, Now, Kawhi and Danny Green... Oh my gosh, they were on that Spurs team. So, uh, here's your, here's your, here's your link to that Spurs team. I just don't know whether this, a group of players who is largely, other than those two Spurs guys, unproven and susceptible to collapse based on their background. I just don't know if they've got it in them. But, but Bontemps, I'm not, I admire you coming out and saying it. I'm not saying that it's, that that you're right or wrong i just i i'm i'm don't know if the raptors have the same intestinal fortitude but we're gonna find out i guess kirk
2: we're gonna find out and the and the sixers are are, are a really good opponent who have played pretty poorly in my opinion in that game one um but yeah Kawhi is a closer the difference between this raptors teams and the previous ones is he's a guy when he's going you could give the ball to with four minutes left in a tie game and get good looks high quality shots He's not going to back away from the moment. He likes it. And then he'll D up the, the best player on the other end, too, whether it's Harden or in this series somebody like Jimmy Butler gets going or uh, even Tobias Harris. They can throw so many big, long defenders. Um, now you have Danny, you mentioned that. Pascal Siakam also now is, is playing huge minutes for them and gives them just another Swiss Army knife on defense um, all game, not just at the end of the games. But, I mean, combined, I think you know Siakam and, and Kawhi were 28 for. 38 and just had 70 some points
1: 28 Uh, for 28 for 38
2: yep and and that's not going to happen again i mean kudos but these are not the raptors we were talking about in years past um siakam was there sort of kind of um he wouldn't have been starting and Kawhi wasn't there and danny wasn't there um obviously so these are not the same raptors um and to danny's credit he's been really good all year and uh has been there in the playoffs in these 13 and 14 series that you guys are alluding to so I think the Raptors are a different animal. I think we saw a little bit of that in Game 1. Uh, and I'll be curious to see if we see it again in Game 2. Can Embiid show up? He had problems with Marcus All. Can Ben Simmons get it going? Um, this is not a great matchup for Philly. And if Embiid and Simmons aren't going, uh, what are we looking at? How are they going to win a game? Um, so I'm looking for those guys in Game 2. Um, Bontemps, I forget who you said it was. It was uh, Bloodsoe in the other series. I'm looking at Ben Simmons and Embiid in, in this next game uh, to see if they can get it going to get a fire lit under Philly's chances.
0: Well, Tim, you know, they've been saving in one way or another, saving Kawhi for the entire year. And the Kawhi that we've seen in this postseason, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people probably should, uh, the people who criticize them uh, at times for having Kawhi sit out games during the regular season should probably recuse themselves, right? Because at the end of the day, if this guy's going to play like this throughout the playoffs... Uh, everything that the Raptors did during the regular season uh, is going to be justified. Because he, I mean, the other night, I mean, he was just incredible. Um, and, and to your point, Kirk, Marcus Gasol, the guy that traded for in February, um, just completely stonewalled Embiid the whole game. Um, and Embiid and basically gave up trying to get into the paint after a while when Gasol was out there because he just couldn't move him. Um, part of that's because of his conditioning. Part of that's obviously because of his knee, which is clearly not right. Um, but, yeah, he's got to – I mean, five for 18 is not going to cut it. He's got to be way better than that if they want any chance. Um, and, and he's probably got to be the best player on the court. And I just don't know if he's capable of doing that right now. And if he can't do that, the other matchups are not great. And I'm just not sure how, how they match up with, with Toronto at that point.
0: Yeah, and Toronto is the deeper team. Um, but, you know, Phillies – you know, the starters – for Philly, this is the first time they've been hit in the mouth in a long time. Um, they've generally been terrific when they've been playing together, even though it's been small, a small sample. And um, they got outplayed by the Raptors starters. So the, the Philly, to have any chance to win... Pascal and Kawhi to win.
1: outscored them by themselves.
0: <clears throat> yeah. For, the, for Philly to have day chance to win, their starters have to win big time because their bench is, is thin, especially compared to the Raptors bench. Um, but, uh, I have a rule, and there's, and, you know, it's, it sounds corny, and I apologize. I've been <coughs> accused of being corny many times in the past. I will many times in the future, but uh, I don't rea- I don't overreact to game one. I've, I've, uh, I'm getting old now. I've got gray hairs in my head, and I can talk about, um, you know, playoff series I was covering before Twitter, and I've just seen too many playoff series where game one happens, and everybody goes up in arms, and then by game three and a half, nobody can remember what happened in game one I got because cor- the series changes. So can much. I
2: interject with a corny rule as well?
0: Yes. <laughs> My
2: corny rule is that if you lose game one, you want to get blown out. You want to you want to lose a big way uh, because that that puts the fire in. Like uh, talking about that rocket series against the Spurs, nobody remembers. Everybody remembers the Game 6 collapse by the Rockets, but nobody remembers they kicked our behinds in that Game 1. They won by, like, 20 or 30 points, and people were shoveling dirt on on our team. And, you know, that lights the fire under you for Game 2, especially if you're at home like Milwaukee is. You want to lose bad. You don't want to lose by 2 and sort of be like, oh, if that one shot went in. Um, you know, if you really need to make adjustments, you want to get blown out like I think Milwaukee did, um, and maybe Philly. Um, when you get punched in the mouth, you know, you come back hard. In that game too, and if if you don't, sometimes you just like oh, we just need to make a couple more shots, and you don't really take those adjustments as seriously as you need to.
0: I don't know about you, Andrew, but I am really enjoying Goodyear's uh, campaign in these playoffs because they get to show the Akron Wingfoots um when i grew up in Akron Ohio home of Goodyear i heard about the Akron Wingfoots um some of the uh, some of the great players um in the 40s 50s 60s era played for the Wingfoots they were a historic team and that's because Goodyear has been supporting basketball for generations. And that's why it, this, this time of year, basketball's playoff run. Uh, Goodyear wants to be a major part of it. And it's where the players are more driven than ever. And they go further. So why wouldn't you want Goodyear to do the same? It's smart advertising. Goodyear knows that performance is everything, whether it's at home, on the road or on the court. So when it comes to choosing tires, let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. Goodyear has been a supporter of basketball for decades Been a supporter of great performance tires for decades. So, Goodyear.com. Goodyear is more driven. All right, let's spend a couple of minutes, um, on the other series, sort of the, the, (laughs) the, the the outlier series. All the other series have, have played. And then, oh yeah, uh, Portland, Denver, uh, tough turnaround for Denver after playing the seven game series. By the way, I felt like the entire Warriors organization was just tired at the end last night. Like I, I expect a very light practice today because they were just tired from their turnaround. 36 hours, um, Denver, San Antonio, very emotional, emotional victories for both of those teams. Um, uh, Portland and Denver, but, uh, Portland's had way more rest. Uh, uh, Kirk can, can Denver maintain, uh, and also, I don't know what Cantor can do uh, with his shoulder injury. I I don't know if there's been an update this morning that I've missed, but I I don't know if he's even going to be able to play. So that means they'd be down two big guys coming into this series against Jokic, Um, even though they looked much better in their first-round series. um, What are you looking for? Well,
2: you know, Denver didn't look like they were ready to play in the playoffs for the first game and a half or so of the Spurs series. They looked like that young team with no playoff experience. Jamal Murray looked lost. Mike Malone didn't look like he had a good game plan, and then it flipped. And they played really well. And the role players, you know, that you don't expect much from on the road, they were making shots and big road wins. <clears throat> they're really good. Obviously, Jokic and Murray are their two best players. But when Gary Harris gets going, they're, they're really good. You know, Monty Morris has something to give them. I think they can keep it going. I think they're going to surprise people in this next series. Um, <clears throat> Brian, I think you honed in on one of the key points. We're already out with Nurkic. Uh, if Canner's banged up, Okay, how are we even stopping Jokic in the series? What's the plan? Obviously, Canner doesn't come. Myers, with... letter, did that was your time? <laughs> yeah, Myers, Leonard, Zach Collins. It, you know Zach
1: Collins. Yeah, yeah.
2: These guys don't come in with sterling defensive reputations to begin with, and now they have arguably uh, one of the hardest defensive assignments at that position in the NBA coming their way. Who's hot? He's learned how to play playoff basketball, and he gets other players going, which is unique from that position as well. Um, so if they can't slow down Jokic, I think you know the rest of the country is going to wake up to the idea that. Oh, my God, the Denver Nuggets are actually pretty good. Um, so I think this series is about can you, – you're exactly right. Can what's left of the bigs in Portland do anything to slow down Jokic?
0: Pontemps, can Lillard keep shooting like 40% on 35-footers? Because I, I, <laughs> I don't think that he can. But, I mean, he's proven people wrong for his whole career.
1: Yeah, I mean – I get where Kirk's coming from, and I agree. Like, can uh, you know whether Kander plays or not? This should be a series where Jokic feasts on the opposition. But um, I can't bet against Dame Lillard at this point. Um, I bet against him in the last round. I picked the picked the Thunder because I thought without use of Nurkic, they were not going to be able to uh, to have enough to beat the beat the Thunder. And in, all Dame did, to your point, was shoot. I think what eight for twelve from the logo in the series or something. Uh, just absolutely absurd even before he hit that ridiculous shot to win the series. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just going to lean on the fact that I bet on Damian Lillard making plays down the stretch to win these games. I I do agree with Kirk in that the Nuggets succeeded in getting through the first round and and getting through that, um, you know, getting through the, the, the challenge of winning a playoff series and being the favorite team and dealing with that and fighting through and winning. But they didn't look that impressive in doing so, and I, I just think you know, them trying to stop Damian Lillard is going to be another matter entirely, and I, I just think that Lillard in the end will be too much for them, even if can or can't go, which, by the way, he said uh, yesterday, I went and looked, that he, he he said he's questionable for game one, but I haven't seen an official well, right. uh, <laughs>
0: note from the team. Well, I love Ennis, but he says a lot of things. Yes, um, he does. <laughs> um I also feel like uh, Denver is not, and they could prove me wrong and slap this across my face in, in seven days. I don't know if Denver is equipped to win in Portland. Um, they did win game four in San Antonio, which was a season-turning win. Um, but Portland's a tougher place to play, um, and that's going to be the thing. If they they really need to get ahead in this series and make Portland uh, lean on their home court because if Portland comes back 1 1, even 1 1, they're gonna feel really good about it. Um, but, um, I am looking forward to, to watching that series to see if Lillard can stay hot because Lillard is on the kind of streak right now. He's kind of like, uh, you know, a hot guard in the NBA. Really, uh, you see it in, in all postseason basketball, especially college basketball. You get a hot guard there's you know stuff special stuff can happen in the postseason so i'm really just anxious to see if Luther can keep it up um all right well kirk you've got to go do book promotion oh yeah so uh congratulations on sprawl ball coming out tomorrow you can get it at amazon at any of your fine uh, retailers it is a beautiful book it's the type of book that you want to put on your coffee table if nothing else just buy it and put it on your coffee table it'll a make you look smart and, B, it's a beautiful thing that people can just flip through. They can open to almost any page and learn something. So um, good, good luck with that. Bontemps, uh, good luck with trudging through the snow. Um, Snowshoes yes. are available on the corner. Um, and... Um, don't forget that Bontemps has now predicted that the Raptors win the title. I'm, I'm teasing you to have fun with you, but um, I am really anxious to see what Toronto does. Uh, it'll be a disaster for television ratings, but it could potentially be <laughs> good for the NBA. <laughs> I um, say, thank you.
1: I might get fired
0: if that
2: Canadian <laughs> up. television ratings will be great, though.
0: Let's be Through the roof. They will. <laughs> uh, thanks for getting up early with us, uh, Andrew Hahn, although I got up early too. I'm on the West Coast. I don't even know why I'm thanking you. Thanks for Kyrie for spinning the dials and sitting there and, uh, giving emotional support to, uh, Kirk as he's in their studio with you. Uh, we'll be talking to you later this week. Thanks for listening to Hoop Collective.